Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after. You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Scott Galloway. And I'm Kara Swisher. And Kara is, I hope we are not recording because Kara is in a robe and holding on to a a jar of drugs. It's something out of like a bad 70s porn <laughs> film. I don't know what's yes, going here on. Here I am there. in LA being sick, yeah. continuing to be sick. Yeah, it's uh, we got to get you past that. So I know I got a Z pack. I am basking in the in the glow of your coat. I thought it, was, it went off really well. How are you feeling about yeah. everything? I'm feeling good. I yeah. think it was really good. I thought there were substantive interviews. Yeah. I think everybody was sort of I hate to use that phrase, but leaning into it. Um, mm-hmm. I thought we did a good job on the COVID protocols, mm-hmm. pretty strict. Um, and I think people were, were appreciative, um, but I don't think we were overwhelming at the same time. I think we were mm-hmm. respectful and safe. Um, and, uh, and it was, and there was a lot of great stuff. I think all the interviews were great. I don't know what else to say. You know, everybody was terrific, including you, Scott Calloway. Daddy went out last night. Daddy went did out. You? Oh, God. Really? Yeah. yeah, you went to I, Korean I, barbecue. I did I Korean did. barbecue yeah. and a Z pack, and I was out. So that was there that for go. me. That's pretty good, there. too. So I know, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. I never I went to, to any of the, the script. Y'all right? went to the parties and had all kinds of drama. I did nothing. We've got a couple of topics for Banner today, Kara. First up, there's a huge hashtag circulating around Twitter saying Ken Griffin lied. And then essentially, uh, there's a, I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but a theory that when Robinhood be, uh, halted trading in certain meme stocks, it was because their biggest client, Citadel, who pays for their order flow, which in, a, in and among itself is very controversial, uh, had a financial stake in a company or a hedge fund that was getting absolutely killed because they'd gone short uh, GameStop and was basically losing hundreds of millions. And the, the theory is that Citadel put pressure on Robinhood to stop the bleeding and stop trading uh, in GameStop. I don't. I haven't seen any evidence of that. I actually think that Ken Griffin is too smart to engage in that. I don't like Robinhood for a lot of reasons, but I just think it was a capital call. When you buy a stock, I believe you have to pair it with a seller and there's a certain amount of capital required. 
And I just don't think they had the capital and to, and to the cover reason those. the hashtag is is because he told Congress he never spoke to him, right? Well, and they're now and they found phone records that that uh, contradict that. They never instructed that. him, right? They well, contradict sort of. that. I just uh, it'll be very interesting. But I think a guy like Ken Griffin uh, is very good has a very healthy fear of jail because he doesn't need he, he has everything he needs. I I always say this guy wouldn't do that. I don't so I don't it'll be interesting to see what comes out, but there is a there is a very strong sentiment now online that they found these phone records and it contradicts his testimony under oath. And there's all these memes with um uh made off on them. But it, it it's gonna be yeah. um it's gonna be interesting to see to see where, you know, if and where this goes. Yeah, I would it's it's it, well we'll see. Well they they need proof. My feeling is they need proof. If I mean, yeah. I don't like these guys either, but yeah. they need proof Yeah. at this so, point. Moving on to more people with badges, a federal privacy bureau is coming closer to reality care. On Wednesday, the U.S. Senate heard arguments for a privacy bureau that would live inside the FTC. Democrats want yes. $1 billion to fund the new effort. Uh, and I think we have a clip. Here's an exchange between Senator Gary Peters and Morgan Reed, president of the App Association. Some uh, some smaller data brokers have suggested that they, they should be completely exempt from reporting and disclosure uh, requirements, uh, that they're a, a small business and that it's Absolutely uh, overly not. burdensome. Well, yeah. you've, you've already had the, the question is, should, should <laughs> Congress consider FTC uh, exemptions for data brokers? Uh, should we treat them like we do your average uh, small business uh, down the street? No, because they aren't the small business down the street, and they're not the point of inflection, right? They're not the point at which you, the consumer, engaged with the activity that provided your data. So they're opaque to most, to most users. And so, no, I don't think that they should be exempt completely because they're no, no different than the, the local small business or the bike store. What do you I think, think there should be a privacy bureau. I think it's a great idea. This is, the FTC is, it cannot handle all the things that are happening around data and digital issues. And a separate agency is what's required, even though I, I'm not a lover of big government, but it's like stupid at this point. Yeah, it does feel as if, um, you know, privacy, issues around privacy, I, they're just getting so complicated and they move at the speed of light. It, this is another case where regulation and legislation just hasn't kept, kept up with technology and advancement. There's just so many new issues, just as they are creating uh, fairly large panels and there's a lot of academic research around bioethics because there's been you know uh, an explosion in innovation around you know certain types of research and medical research and cloning it doesn't feel as if we have it just makes sense to be thinking about data transparency and privacy and to have a, a a group charged with applying looking looking at these issues in a thoughtful way that has a budget looks at it probably mostly through the lens of technology um, or at technology companies. With experts. Yeah. With experts. Agreed. Agreed. I like it. it. We're fans. I We're know, fans. I know we, we hate the idea of creating another agency, but our government is not, even though there's a lot of stone in Washington, it's not set in stone. We have to respond to the regulatory issues of today mm-hmm. and to call around, oh, no more big business. I mean, big government. It's, it's crap. We need it. We need it. Yeah. I just want to bring up what tech stocks have been doing this week. The Amazon and NVIDIA were hardest <laughs> hit. Uh, but they all kind of sold off a little bit. I would argue this is barely a sell-off. It's kind of like they've plummeted to the values that they were, I don't know, four, six weeks ago. It's just the the rip-up yeah. there has been just so incredible. But they did, in, in all told, lose about $200 billion. It was pinned on rising yields, so just very basics around the, the correlation of the relationship between 
bond yields and stock prices. When bond yields go up, it makes fixed income investments, essentially bonds, more attractive. And people, the theory is people are less inclined to try and find a return in the stock market and people just reallocate capital out of the stock market into the debt market. So as interest rates have just gone to, to zero slowly but surely over the last 13 years, it's been rocket fuel uh, for the stock market. So anyways, this check back was blamed on increasing yields. I would argue it was just these companies letting out some steam. They've just gone up. They've just had such unprecedented climbs. But what we also saw was Bitcoin also went down. And one of the pe one of the things that the Bitcoin Taliban that can, you know can't have an intelligent conversation around the upsides and the downsides <laughs> of crypto. Did you say Bitcoin Taliban? They're gonna like that. Well, there's, uh, okay, come at me. But uh, it's, it's Tesla. By the way, Bernie Sanders bros are the same way. And that is, their their feeling is they they are very aggressive. They don't have a dialogue unless you kind of surrender to the narrative. You're the enemy. But there's one of the narratives around crypto was always that it was uncorrelated. That one of the most attractive things about it is you are decentralizing and decoupling from the markets, which were either one corrupt or you wanted more diversification so you could find a safe asset that wouldn't be correlated if and when the crash comes and these you know what some people believe are over. Um, are overhyped stocks or overvalued stocks. And the reality is that's just not true. When we had a huge um, drawdown in stocks at the beginning of the pandemic, Bitcoin plummeted to like, I think it was like 5,000 bucks, believe yeah. it or not. And Aswat Damodaran, who's kind of like, I don't know, my hero spirit animal, I would argue is the best teacher in graduate education. He has a very interesting theory on this. And that is in the 80s, the big theme in finance departments across the world in academic institutions was the fact that you could get risk-free return from diversification. That if you didn't own two stocks, you owned 10, and the further you diversified them, you, you managed to hold on to yield and return with lower risk. And diversification became sort of this truism in the world of investing. And the problem is everybody listened and started diversifying all over the world in different asset classes, different geographies, different different companies. And that meant, while you think, well, that's a great thing. What it's done, Kara, is it's made everything correlated because everybody owns a little bit of everything. And so when people, yeah, when stocks go down and they have margin calls or they need liquidity, everything from an Australian iron ore stock to a bond in Turkey gets hit. And there's no difference here. Crypto- And it just did, just it, proved that. It just, and so I love this notion that diversification at the end of the day has resulted in greater correlation globally. I find that just fucking fascinating. I'm, fascinating. I'm overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. So we'll be talking about such issues on what? Hello. What is Hello. your news? You break the news. Break the news, Kara. Right. Break it. The dog is getting a show on CNN Plu. Plu? Uh, sorry. CNN Plu. Plu. <laughs> it's Plu. Canal. <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah, kind of. It's French. It's going to yes, be in France only. Yeah. Uh, CNN France. Um, the new show will focus on news and conversations where business and technology collide. You haven't have. You don't have a title. You going to tell me what your title is? Uh, I'm hoping it'll be No Mercy, No Malice, but I got to figure out Which if is, you can do yeah. that. Um, but, All right, and you're launching in the first quarter of 2022. Yeah. Tell me what this is at CNN Blue. Uh, other than an enormous mistake by CNN, it's yeah. um yeah. Uh, well, oh, CNN. No, that's clear. The, la the final frontier of, of streaming is news and I would argue business and politics. And CNN has decided uh, that they need to play in this. And they're making a huge commitment to an OTT network called CNN Plus. 
I, I mean, I'm, I'm all kidding aside, and I, 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 I have the tapes to show this. This really is a kind of a bucket list dream come true for me. I love CNN. I love the people there. I love the talent there. Why didn't you start there to for, in the first they place? Because oh, <laughs> yeah. they didn't call. Because they didn't ask me, Kara. Yeah. Um, uh, you have to be asked. But I'm going to be doing a show on the intersection between technology and society and business. And the wonderful thing about OTT is that if we have 20 minutes of content one week, that's fine. If we have 40 minutes, no commercials. Uh, I think they've told me to kind of lean into my irreverence. I've said, have you Uh-oh. seen my content? You know, yeah. are you worried at all? And are they ready for you? They claim they're into the, you know, the crazy. Um, so oh, well. I really then like that. And um, they've hit the jackpot. But anyway, CNN Plus um, got a show. Thank you. I think this is a show and you discovering me and making me an overnight success after working my ass off for 30 years is a big part of the reason I got this show. So thank you. And let's be honest. I'm so glad I turned down their offer. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't get an offer. Let's be honest. I've outgrown you. I, I'm no, Hillary Swank li- leaving that other guy who didn't get more movies, whatever it is. I'm, you know, I've oh, outgrown Chad. you. I've outgrown you. No, you him. haven't. I've You'll be back. You. Don't you worry. I've outgrown You'll you. See. I'm McLean Stevenson going on to You're, a big world of movies. This is like a rubber band I'm relationship. Sh- I'm Shelly Long. I'm right too back. big for cheers. I should be doing. Listen, I want you, I want you to Hills behave true. a little bit. Yeah, well, exactly. You want me to Shelly. I'm Shelly Long. I'm due for movies. I'm due for much bigger things. Money Pit and Troop Beverly Ultimately, Hills. Let me just give you a piece of advice. It's a very good okay. quote okay. that I love. Okay. Um, I want I want you to like, you should be you. You absolutely should be you. But there's a quote by Dorothy Salisbury Davis. Um, I just looked mm-hmm. it up. Don't sell your soul to buy peanuts for the monkeys. Don't sell your soul to buy peanuts for the monkeys. Hmm. Hmm. You don't have to do okay. antics. You're very smart. You have a lot of insight. I, I like the antics. You, think I, you don't think I, I should? I think you, I like your antics, but I'm saying two things that you want to do, right? Yeah. Two things that you want to do, yeah. not things that are crowd-pleasing. Right. That's what the peanuts are to the monkeys. Yeah. Two things that you want to do. You don't be you. Sell, the, sell your soul for the peanuts for the monkey man. No, you be <laughs> you in any way you can. Just what you're doing should be uh, insightful and, and, and bring people Daddy with knowledge. a capital D. D oh, to the no. A double D-Y. Hello, Good luck, Jeff Zucker. Call me if you need advice, yeah, okay? Yeah. Call me. Literally, what is the over-under for the second time my show gets canceled before it airs? You What's the what? over-under? 30%, 50%? I have a I unique know. skill to snatch defeat <laughs> from the jaws of victory. <laughs> Thank you for your role in this. Thank you, CNN Plus. I'm super excited. All right. When we come back, we'll debrief on code and take a listener question. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 
Bluenile.com. Okay, Kara, time for our big story. Code. We, I really, you, I just showed up and looked very pretty. I thought I looked good. You nice. did look good. Yeah, I thought you I went around and you were like the ambassador. You, you know what? I really do. I'm. I care for you, and I wanted this to be successful because we haven't done it in a while. I thought this was an especially important code for you and for us and for Vox. And I overcame my the fact that I don't like people, and I went around and I yeah. tried to meet everybody. I literally yeah. tried to meet 400 people. Yeah, you was, were like the maitre d. It was. Anyways, great. I tried to be the hostess with the mostest. You were excellent. That's you did a right. great job, except for one part, but we won't discuss it later. No, we but, should discuss uh, that because I want to okay. evolve as a person. Well, you were angry at me or a bunch of people. You did an interview with Sam Harris, which I think a lot of which was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I think it, I always try to bring in uh, views I don't agree with. Last week, The Lancet, you know, a mm-hmm. preeminent medical journal, mm-hmm. one of probably the five best medical journal, journals on earth, is now referring not to women, but to bodies with vaginas. Right now, this is whatever you think about the politics around trans rights, and I'm, mm-hmm. I am super liberal on, on that point. This is where scientific rationality and the, and the English language go to mm-hmm. die. But I thought you had a really intelligent conversation until you got uh, to uh, this idea that people uh, with trans, um, mm-hmm. this whole obsession with the word woman. Right, when we can't actually use the, the, the word woman as a noun, in a medical context or in any other context without fearing for the, that there's gonna be a witch burning, you know, based on, the, on a kind of activist culture uh, that has been leveraged by, by social media. And uh, that you, you have seen that kind of capitulation to dogmatism and bullying just writ large across our institutions, media, academic, corporate, and it's, um, it's it's not being exaggerated. It's often spun, even by your co-host on your podcast, as being exaggerated. But um, it is also in reaction to you know very troubling trends on the right. And mm-hmm. Ina Fried, who mm-hmm. uh, pushed back at you pretty hard, and it deservedly. Scott, Ina Fried with Axios. Um, maybe it's you know I am one of those uh, women who was born without a uterus. So mm-hmm. um, I'm curious. Help me understand why it is that in order to deal with these massive issues, climate change, the virus, et cetera, why do we simultaneously have to dehumanize and delegitimize uh, transgender and non-binary folks who are speaking their truth about their identity? Why, I don't understand why those two things are in conflict. This idea that, you, that it's inconvenience to, uh, and, and then call it wokistan or call it, Cancel culture, yeah, wait, or whatever. So I, I just use that word. Sam, to be clear, Sam did not. No, use I get that, that. He didn't, but he does the same thing. It's the same idea as that. Ugh, we, we're so inconvenienced, and it's so unscientific. Yeah, and it, no, you know, see, now you're, you're making a caricature of his comments. That's not. It, no, I get uh, it. So I didn't. I didn't. Well, let me just be clear. I, I, I did not even know this was an issue. And also, I, I do. I, I like that Nina got up and she was uh, visibly upset, and we gave her a lot of time to to. Have a bit of a dialogue with with Sam, as I understood it, and I didn't even know this was a thing. I'm so out of touch. Really, but Sam oh was God, saying, God. Sam was saying that we're at a point now where we're not allowed to even use biological terms such as or gender terms such as woman or man, because people find that offensive. That we can't even agree on a common vocabulary to try and have thoughtful discussions 
that advance the rights of different people. His viewpoint was we can't even have a common dialogue, a common vocabulary anymore. I don't think he was saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. You shouldn't be able to to use certain words. No, but it's attached to it. This is not the example you need to do. It's attached to a much bigger issue, which is um, aggrieved white men. I'm just, I'm sorry. It's what it is. And I get that in some cases it goes too far. We understand that. That's not the issue. But they fixate on certain things where they could be respectful, understand the complexity of it, and not just, hey, you know, this is, look, you can't even say this. You can't, come on. It's, it, it reduces but what is, a very uh, what complex I didn't get, topic. What I didn't but, get from the conversation, and it's a genuine question, is what what is um, what is the ask for? To stop using the terms woman and man and to use the term born with a vagina and born with a penis? What is the actual issue? What's the ask? I don't know if, if there's an ask, but it's, 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 there's a lot of asks. That's not true. But yeah. the idea is, is to, I get, I, I get why on, if you do it in a reductive way, you yep. can make your argument that way, but yep. it's not reductive. This is a history. And by the way, it's continuing, as yep. you know, Republican legislatures across oh, the country are aiming, and you know our friend Stephanie Rule. Tr- tremendous, so slap back. that community is enduring tremendous bullshit, a tremendous discrimination. And continues to, and this yeah, is agreed. just so agreed. much bullshit on top of it, agreed. that they, they just need to do why. It, it, you know, it just, it's just, it's not that, you know, here we are indulging. They just lump it in with things, you know, it, it's not a grab basket of mm-hmm. cancel culture. Sometimes the left goes too far. There is no question. By the way, meanwhile, the right over here is moving into, you know, the left is arguing with itself. Well, the right is moving in extraordinarily. Uh, he, he did have an interesting point on uh, this. Well, just that uh, I thought it was, and I hadn't realized it. He said the far right is basically, he believes, been mostly excluded. That the far right is is mostly seen as crazy and doesn't have that much influence. Uh, but the far left has qu- garnered quite a bit of influence that they still, they do get quite a bit of, um, they're taking very seriously and culture, have more influence. Culture. Yeah. I thought that was really an interesting observation. I hadn't thought about it because he said, when you see these people marching at Charlottesville, for the most part, the majority of America lawmakers really do write them off and we don't, you know, they're not taken seriously. But the president was, didn't. The president of the United States didn't. He yeah. continues to use them. You mean President Trump? Yes, President yeah. Trump. Yeah. Um, they, not not President Biden, of course not. Um, yeah. He continues to use them for his political advantage and to yeah. scare people. And so yeah. this is not a, this is a, a new, fresh time that requires people to not be so inconvenienced on yeah. all sides. By the way, FYI, because what's happening is these more, uh, extremist parts of our society are yeah. pressuring us to disagree, and it's just it, I, I don't know what else to say, but it's unkind. At the very least, it's unkind and yeah. it's not thoughtful. And, you know, pulling out this, I don't get to say what I want. You know, I had a, an interesting discussion and then we can move on um, with a with a pretty high ranking CEO. It's mm-hmm. like, I never get to say everything I want anymore. And I That's was probably a good thing, thing, right? <laughs> I was <laughs> like, you know what? Good. good. You yeah. shouldn't say everything you want anymore. You've been getting to say anything you want for your whole life. And maybe you should start thinking about, um, and not to be like, it's not woke as to say, can't you just be, look at, there are people who have suffered that you have no idea about or what they've mm-hmm. gone through. This is a group of people, especially this group of people, that continue to this day to be continually attacked and that you have to do this argument and not, um, and make it this big a deal is just, um, I just the don't The nicest moment understand. was or the biggest insight I don't even uh, for you was, if you had to pick one or two. 
here's overall, I thought all the speakers came to talk and say significant things, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I think people were, first of all, were dying to get together. That's the one thing is mm-hmm. the attendees were thrilled. I, I had so many people like, I'm so happy to be here. Um, which I thought was a great, I thought that was a great mm-hmm. part. Um, and I thought we gave them really great content and the speakers also came to really, we're excited to talk, I think, about various issues. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, Sachin Nadella, I thought was tremendous. Um, he's but, good. uh, he's, he's very, very good, good and was funny too. And, yeah. you know, took a few dings at Amazon and, uh, TikTok, the TikTok deal. Well, then I just sort of have to ask about TikTok. <laughs> Tell me what happened there. It's the strangest thing I've ever sort of worked on. I um, figure. It's the strangest thing I've, I've reported It's on. unbelievable. I mean, um, it's, I learned so much, Cara, about so many things and so many people. So? Uh, well, the thing that made news was Elon yeah. saying that Jeff Elon Bezos was- uh, uh, should focus on on getting to orbit and not lawsuits. Um, you, you, can't, you cannot sue your way to the moon. Okay. <laughs> You know how good your lawyers are. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, passive aggressive minus the passive. And that There's made a no lot passive. of news. That made a lot yeah. of news. This is a lawsuit from Blue Origin about a, a lunar lander contract that mm-hmm. Elon, has, uh, SpaceX, has gotten with NASA. Um, Amazon responded. What did they say? What did they do? Well, just hours later, they sent a 13-page list uh, to our friends at The Verge detailing litigation and other legal actions filed by SpaceX against the government going back as 2004. So they were like, come, come on, boss. What's good for, the, good for the goose? And then Elon responded on Twitter saying, SpaceX has sued to be allowed to compete. Blue Origin is suing to stop competition. Yeah, tomato, tomato, boss. It, it, this definitely is like their sword fighting with their dicks has gone now it's not in space. It's here at Code. Yeah. But I, it strikes me as very strange that these guys are, it strikes, me, it strikes me as a little bit childish the way they're kind of going after each other like this. I, they clearly don't like each I other. Don't know. What is it's normal. He said, he said they don't speak. I would, have, I would think yeah, guys yeah. like that would talk. Apparently um, they don't talk. Yeah, that, that strikes me as weird. Yeah, no, well, here's the thing. Elon is so far ahead of everybody else. You know, in space. Like a factor. No, in, in space. space is, he's yeah. got, and cars. I mean, like everywhere yeah. that he competes. Um, you know, the space stuff, he's got like most of the, the cutting edge stuff. And they're all sort of racing to keep up. I mean, the numbers are very clear. Um, I think I think he enjoys having a little back and forth. He likes the game, you know. And I mm-hmm. liked it. I liked that he talks about it. You know, he talked a lot about Mars and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I, I enjoyed. I don't mind this. I think it's funny, and I love that Amazon kind of without a sense of humor responds. You know, they could have done something funny. And mm-hmm. by the way, why was Amazon responding when Blue Origin is owned by Jeff Bezos? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, that seems a little bit weird. Um, you know what I thought was the nicest moment or the nicest panel was the one on psychedelics. <laughs> I was oh, very. Yeah. I, I come to the stuff and I look I look for insight. The more I find as I get older, I'm looking for something that where I feel something that creates an emotion or emotional response. And I found found it very um, moving. I think his name was Sanjay on the psychedelics panel. Who what's the institute he runs? Joe Green, I forget. Yeah, Nikian. Nikian. Yeah, there. thank you. Yeah, and he talked about his daughter's. Um, anorexia and the role that psychedelics played and uh, that his uh, bipolar um, his bipolar um, condition was um, treated or that psychedelics played a role in that. And I thought that was very um, brave of him. And also, I thought it was moving. And I didn't realize the exciting thing or the thing I took away from that panel is they're talking about 
things ranging from obesity to criminal recidivism. There's a lot of potential treatments here. And then Rick Smolin had a great question, and that is, there's no free lunch with anything. And he was right. He was literally reading my mind, and that is, what is the downside when everyone is doing these kind of guided these guided trips, um, uh, but in that company field trip, it's basically opening kind of the Williams-Sonoma psychedelics. Yeah. I thought that was really yeah. interesting because I think so many of us are a bit confused about where to start. I am going to do, and it's going to be actually an episode on my program on CNN Plus, I'm going to do one of these guided trips. Um, I've been scared to do it, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Which one are you, ketamine therapy? Um, I'm going to do it through, so that guy. That's I, what was, they do at, uh, at field trip, ketamine therapy. Yeah, ketamine. Right. It was that guy, Ronan. I thought he was, he struck me as just a very level-headed guy. And I like the idea of having a senior executive in one of these companies make make sure that I'm treated well or that shit doesn't go wrong or whatever, um, which yeah. I don't think it does very often. I think it's a lot less dangerous or risky than, than you might think. I, I don't know why it intimidates me. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to do You're it gonna and document You're going to discover yourself. That'll be good. You see, I'm not that. sure I need to. I'm not sure I want to see me or my oh, issues. I don't. My that's what scares God. me about it. Right? Really, you should. Yeah. You'll be happier. You think? Okay. I'm see, in. I'm completely self. But I'm happy with God. myself. I'm happy with my my self hating self. I'm fine. I'm down with. No, you it. would be a very good it. candidate for that. No, I think it's an interesting thing. I think what's interesting about it was that these are going to be businesses, and they're going to be. Um, I think one of the things we're going to talk about, we're going to our next event's going to be PivotCon, is this changing healthcare system. And I think both the panels on the body um, mm -hmm. and the mind were really interesting because one of the messages was, whatever you think, some of this stuff is going to be quackery, mm -hmm. some of it's not. Um, the healthcare system and how we treat ourselves needs to change dramatically. And it is, it's also a financial opportunity. And the way it's set up really is not about health in any way. It's about uh, treatment. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, one of I, I just really look forward to delving into besides climate change, tech, and Bitcoin, and changing of the financial system. I, I don't think there was a, a non-interesting. Benioff got a lot of kudos for his, his interview. Yeah, he said something that I was that I that I took down, and that is, what is your highest value? I like guess a company. What is the kind of the one value you will yeah. not negotiate on and pursue? And I thought that was very instructive. And I thought. I have this whole thing. Growth is not a value. Growth is not a value. That's right. Um, it's a. Uh, it's hopefully an outcome. But anyways, the uh, I do this 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 exercise with my students, my brand strategy class. Where I'm like, think about yourself as a brand professionally and personally, and establish. Uh, Paul Romer, Nobel Prize winning economist and a colleague at NYU, uh, used to say, and it really moved me. He said, "You have to have a code." <laughs> Uh, you have to have your own code. You have to identify early in your life what your code is and what's not negotiable around your values. And he was essentially the same, saying the same thing. And I thought it was an interesting exercise that every leadership team should say, what is our highest value? Like at the end of the day, what is the value we're trying to evangelize and promote and spread around the world? I thought that was very interesting. And it got me thinking about my own companies. Um, yeah. But I thought he was he referencing... He was referencing well. Facebook yeah. a couple of years ago. He told me in an interview that Facebook was like a cigarette company and everyone's sort of come around to that idea. I think it's more like an opiate company that's or exactly a gambling right. company. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was, that's what he was discussing. And Facebook wouldn't come. We asked them, 
Uh, there were a lot of Facebook people in the audience, though. For I think sure. they were smart. I think they should keep a low profile right now. I mean, really? I'm not talking about what they should do, but the smart thing to do is they should just. There's no winning for them right now because the truth is there. The truth is coming out, and there's just it's what it's indefensible. Their shit's just indefensible, and everyone's just sort of sick of the spin and sick of Nick Clegg and his accent. And everyone's just saying, "Okay, you're charming <laughs> and you're British, British, but you're people. full of shit." Uh, I think they're smart. If I were advising them, I'd say, yeah, just keep it, keep it on the low right now. There's no, there's, I, I, there's no winning for them on, for anyone on any stage in the world right now. Well, Scott, maybe there's a good to be not winning for a minute. How about that? Well, sister, I'm with you. We're brothers from another mother on this one or sisters from another father. I would be transparent utterly and say, okay, here's what we did wrong. And by the way, we're going to be running the full Elon Musk interview and a few other interviews from Code next week on this show. Should we pivot to a listener question, Kara? Let's do that. Let's okay. do it. Anyway, it was a good time had yeah, by well all. Well done, Kara. Well done. Thank you. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. Hey, Scott and Kara. This is Lisa, and I'm a big fan of the show. I'm a library director for King County Library System. We're one of the biggest library systems in the country. Our libraries are beautiful, and for many years, we've encouraged the public to come in all day, get on the internet. Take your kids to story time. Practice English as a second language. Now, obviously, meeting in person has been upended. And while I continue to physically support e-resources and e-books, I'm very worried about public spaces, especially the most democratic of all. What do you think is the future of the public library? And what should we be doing to be more relevant and to continue to thrive and survive? Thanks. Huh. I love libraries, but I'm worried, I would say. I would love to take my daughter and upcoming uh, new son to the library, but obviously COVID has put a, a problem with her going. So um, I don't know. I, I, I spent a lot of time in libraries, but I think kids do not. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, there's a lot here. So I don't go to fundraisers very much uh, or ever. I, I can, you know, going in a windowless room and eating chicken. So we all feel good about ourselves and you know, spend $500 so they can spend $300 on a bad dinner. I, I, that, that whole circuit really turns me off. But the one thing I do go to is there's this thing in Delray Beach that's um, run by a friend of ours called Laugh at the Library, and they try and raise money for the, for the Delray Public Library. I think there's a bigger issue, and that is one of the real downsides to dispersion or the fact that we're all withdrawing to our cohorts and distancing is I think the ugly uh, cousin to dispersion is segregation. And the yeah. problem with dispersion and not having places, great public places like libraries, is we're not touching and feeling each other and we're not going to have as much empathy. And libraries were a great place where a lot of people from different backgrounds came together to just be in each other's company. And I, I think these public places and our lack of mixing, if you will, is a big threat and one of the most unfortunate things coming out of this pandemic. And there's there's just very few things that are more benign and more wonderful than a library. The question is, realistically, is as much all the, the good feels we have about them, are they still practical? Is the new generation right. going to use them? And it's a real question. So what could they become? I don't know. Is it is it got to be a place that has just such extraordinary bandwidth? Do they build podcast studios? Do they have creative studios that you can rent out and lease? It, I mean, you used to go for basically a, the library used to be the, really the card catalog. And then as you needed to find a source, you'd go to this giant card catalog and then you'd go to the fourth floor and find your book on microbiology or whatever. And now we have Google. These things just aren't 
they, they aren't needed, but there are a lot of uh, points of learning and production that we still that still large swaths of the community don't have access to, or just a quiet, nice place to go and get work done. Um, you know, should it be kind of the new? I mean, to a certain community. Extent, the Soho House and Ace Hotel and all these big lobbies that people go to work to, that's they've kind of to a certain extent uh usurped that role from libraries, right? For rich libraries people. that's For exactly rich right. So yeah. should libraries take it back? And again, it's just more more basically a lack of trust in our institutions. We've decided, oh, that should be privatized. But everybody likes a library, but there's just no getting around it. They're going to have to innovate and make the offering more compelling. What are your thoughts, Kara? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I like, I still use libraries for, for my uh, my sons, who are older now, is going for reading time, story time, things like that. Um, there's certain things they do there um, uh, that are, you know, where the kids can interact with each other. Those were all totally useful. Um, reading time. Uh, sitting, just sitting with other kids and reading. That was great. We, we, but all it was all about the community aspect of it. Um, obviously it can't be a place just to take a book out because look, the numbers are in the numbers and people still read books and people need access to books they don't have to buy. Um, so that's important. I just feel like if they move it into a more community space and program a whole lot more, just program the shit out of it. That could be something that's right. interesting. Speeches, right. uh, things yep. for kids, uh, artwork. Book um, signings, all kinds of stuff. Book signings. Yeah, but then again, then you run right into the private, like then bookstores. You know, that you know, mm -hmm. just goes. There, it, the, the problem is that people are withdrawing into their own little pods. That's right. And, um, and, and they can get everything as accessible on the internet. Everything. Right? And so, and it's easier and it's cheaper and it's, it's really hard. I don't quite know. What you could do, but create the things you were talking about. It's hard, uh, uh, Lisa. I'm not sure. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's unnecessary, but it isn't, if that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, we all agree. We, we all agree we like libraries. Now, quite frankly, that'd be out of prove that, that we should and that, that it's, wor it's worth the investment. Okay, Kara, one more quick break, and we'll be back for predictions. Kara, do you have any predictions? I predict that I am someday not going to be sick. No, yeah. I don't predict, Scott. That's your yeah, area. That's me. That's your CNN Plu area of expertise. Hello. 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 That's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have a couple predictions. Uh, the first is, I don't know if you saw the news, but Amazon and Apple are making big entrees, and we predicted this. I said yes. that Amazon was going to be the fastest growing $1 billion plus healthcare company in the world, and they were lining up their troops at the border with Halo and Whole Foods, and they had the infrastructure to take um, healthcare, or at least primary healthcare, maybe diagnostics, and take it from a defensive-driven industry to an offensive one and manage your fitness, manage your health. Well, they've announced a bunch of initiatives and products focused on fitness and health alongside Apple is also doing this. And my prediction is that a lot of, if you think about fitness apps and even the meditation apps, what they are is streaming uh, media companies. They're basically, yeah. they're competing with Netflix. And I think these companies, as a lot of industries have, have incurred, are about to be rolled over by big tech. I think Amazon and Apple are coming into all types of wellness and streaming media, if you will. And I think organizations like Calm and Headspace are really going to suffer. And a lot of these fitness apps that have gotten some traction are, in my opinion, just going to be run over. So Amazon and Apple, and it's going to be another example of how big tech 
just kind of flips flips a switch and rolls over a lot of innovators. Uh, but I think the the market is about to get very ugly for meditation and fitness apps. That's my first prediction. Oh, uh, wow. My second is COVID's enduring future, and we keep saying this, will be seen as an accelerant, not as a change agent. One of the things that's accelerated massively is income inequality. But what we don't talk about is there's going to be a much greater, um, much more scrutiny on vaccine inequality. And that is, it's estimated that by the end of the year, get this, America, we are supposedly going to waste or destroy 100 to 250 yeah. million doses of vaccine, enough vaccine to probably vaccinate three or four Central and Latin American countries. And it's going to bring up a very interesting uh, conversation around uh, wealthy countries versus poor countries. And what is our obligation that if we're not going to use this vaccine, because quite frankly, we have our heads up our asses, should we be shipping that vaccine and putting our supply chain to work for the good of other people? Similar to what we did in, in I would argue, which you've talked II. about, which you've talked about. Anyways, my two predictions, the fitness and the fitness and meditation and wellness streaming streaming content apps out there are about to be rolled over or have huge pressure on them. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with Peloton, by the way. And then two, uh, uh, I'm sorry, under the auspices of big tech, yet again, coming into another ca another category. And two, I think vaccine inequality is about to become a much bigger story. That's interesting. Wow. Um, in any case, you're absolutely correct. Um, I actually did find something really interesting. And let me say with a grain of salt, this was a poll done by a PAC uh, from John Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor, who despises Trump. Um, but nonetheless, there's a poll that shows that numbers for Donald Trump are declining rather quickly. And your governor, Ron DeSantis, is surging yep. in the 2024 GOP I did presidential not know that, candidates. Really. Yeah. Isn't now, again, grain of salt with where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. um, but I think though this, that his support is much softer than people think. Trump That's or, or uh, DeSantis? Trump. Trump. Oh, I, we've said this all along, but in it, yeah. some of it is just, I can't tell, I can't separate, you know, the bias here, but I've always thought, a, a, you know, a guy that lo lost in what was kind of a near landslide, uh, who's going to be pushing 78. And by the way, it, it, he's toxic. Anyone who gets near him has the reputations yeah. ruined. And uh, he's just positioned the Republican Party in an impossible position. But yeah. at the same time, he can he can get people elected, or more more than anything, get them not elected. I just don't think that wine ages well. And also, speaking of aging, I think biology. You know, he's a he's a very you know uh, technically obese guy at the age of what is he now seventy five or seventy six. Um, I just wonder when he starts to quite frankly slow down. Um, anyway, but I, I've always thought he was he was um, that his prospects as a power. He'll still be a kind of a kingmaker, but I don't think, I, I think that brand's got to start waning. But God, I, I agree. I, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. Obviously, Biden's numbers are way down um, because of the Afghanistan rebel. That may jump back if he gets these things passed. If he doesn't, big problems for him. Um, but it's it's a real in for a lot of people like Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, uh, et cetera. But there's, there's this toxic... So I think the terms toxic and masculinity have been conflated, and I don't even like to use the two terms together, but I do think there is a toxic masculinity when it comes to public policy and geopolitical decisions, where we respect people who make these very bold moves that involve death um, and involve wars. And I actually think Biden people will say he got out, it cost a, he, he did not get out elegantly, 
it was kind of a tragedy on certain levels. I think people in the rearview mirror will see that as a leadership position. They won't remember how we got out. They'll just remember we got out. Unfortunately, I think DeSantis, I hate to say this because I think it's depraved what he's done and his behavior. I think people find that kind of stuff leadership, stuck to his guns despite the fact that kids <laughs> were being admitted to ICUs and infections went up. I think America has this sort of preoccupation with people who make these kind of weird I don't, we would rather somebody be wrong, but stick to being wrong with conviction. And I do think that's a form of um, this sort of weirdness around kind of macho decisions. I don't, I think it's very unhealthy and I think we're infected from it. But I think both Biden and DeSantis are probably, uh, uh, are gonna see, are, are gonna get, quite frankly, are gonna benefit from this, those both those decisions. Anyway, uh, I wanna thank everyone, including you, Scott, for all You're the welcome. stuff you did at Code. Um, the experiential team at Vox Media, including Adam Toe, the tech lead for all their uh, helmet code. I want to thank everyone, including uh, Shannon Thompson, Michelle Berg, uh, so many others. Uh, Jill Pendergast has been with me for years. Um, there's just so many people who contribute to code, um, but especially you. You've been a real uh, friend and colleague doing this time. So if nice you thank that. you. That makes me feel nice. All right. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Uh, thanks also to Drew Burrows. Also, Ernie, the E-Man, E to the Entertot, engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user. Check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Box Media. We'll be back next Friday for another breakdown of all things tech and business on the Psychedelics panel. The individual, the guy on the panel, I don't even remember his name, said, what is the common theme after everyone experiences psychedelics and he said universally universally the recognition the finding when you do psychedelics is that love is the answer i don't know what that has to do with psychedelics but i like that kara love is the answer <laughs>